WENJ HD Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Josh Henning, Philly for Mike Gill. Mike Gill had to dip out for some stuff real quick but he'll be back in here tomorrow all should be good in the world back tomorrow jason fitz joins us every wednesday here on the sports batch court you can catch spain and fitz now every monday through friday 7 p.m espn radio and here on 97.3 espn radio as the sports world has been absolutely bonkers now this new espn lineup with you know Keyshawn and Jaywell and Zubin. You got Mike Greenberg, the midday twelve to two, and Jason Fitz, all part of those shuffling decks. He joins us now on the boardwalk kind of hotline. Jason, how you doing with the new show, man? Man, uh, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. And and look, Sarah is somebody that you know I've been friends with for a long time since we worked together the first time. And uh, what's incredible is that now we get to work together again. And uh, for you know, a lot of people don't know this, but. Uh, Sarah and I have so much in common in pop culture that we enjoy, like the, the trash TV all the way to Saturday Night Live, like uh, our, our music taste. So, like, it's funny all the things we have in common. So the opportunity to go in and do a show uh, with somebody that is such a good friend is uh, is incredible for me. I've been lucky that they keep letting me work with people that I consider to be friends. It makes shows fun. And for me, it's fun as well because I'm on before you 6 to 7 for game night usually. And for me, I get to hear you know two people having fun, having a good time, talking sports. So you know, it's a it's a definitely a win-win in my opinion. Well, thanks. And, I, you know, it's nice having a lead-in. Come on now. Uh, but my thing is that 7 and 9 per- particularly presents its own unique opportunity. Like I always said, when we did it the first time, when we did Spain and Fitz the first time, one of the things that really struck me is that by the time somebody gets to ESPN radio at that time of night, they're ready to look forward. And so much of the day is spent looking back at what happened and, and talking about what, what happened with big takes that it's nice to be able to sort of turn the page and set the table at night. And that's something that we get to do. We get to be first reacting to a lot of what's, uh, what's coming right then in the moment. So I love being on at that time. Plus, uh, it's nice to not have to go to bed at 9 o'clock to get up for the next morning. So I'm all in on it. <laughs> I'm with you there. I'm not. I am not an early bed guy. I'm a guy up till midnight, one o'clock in the morning because I'm watching sports, and I eventually fall asleep with the TV on. But that's just me. So yeah. one of the things I want to touch on with you is you had Aaron Baines on the show last night, and this NBA playoff these first couple of days have been absolutely insane. I thought it was interesting. Baines told you that he's rooting for Kawhi Leonard, and the Clippers are kind of like a hot pick now that the Lakers lost to the Blazers last night. It shows you something about the lingering effect of Kawhi, right? Like, Baines made no mistake about the fact that saying, like, Kawhi's my guy. And, and that's a sentiment in the NBA. When you start talking to players, players love Kawhi. So when you start looking around and figuring out who goes to play where, we always have this conversation about LeBron and whether or not people want to play with him. Well, we've gotten that answer. Now we go into the playoffs where suddenly the Lakers – I mean, I was surprised. And, and let me say this loudly. I was wrong. I mean – I went on radio and said the Lakers were going to thump Portland over the course of this series. I still think they win it, but my God, I mean, they just looked, they looked flat last night. And I don't know, compared to all of the rest of the playoff basketball we've seen, I mean, the Bucks got their butts kicked, but at least they played with some level of energy, sloppy or not. The Lakers last night just looked like they were lazy settling for shots. It looked like they didn't have that extra step, and it looked like they really lacked, frankly, give a damn. And I'm surprised to see that at the beginning of a playoff run that means so much to this team. What can you say about Damian Lillard, the run that he's on right now? I don't know if there's an athlete that 
you can you root for an athlete more than you can root for Damian Lillard right now with his attitude towards the game? No, and and look, this is. I think he had to come with a different level, though, guys, because remember, he is the one that said, I'm not going to the bubble to play unless we have a shot at the playoffs. So, obviously, that's the way it came down. Then he had to come in and show that it was all worth it, and he seems to have risen to this. But the biggest part about it is there's a different level of joy. You know, a lot of times when you see guys get to this level of hot, there's also sort of a chip on their shoulder. There's like a, 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 I don't know, like an energy to them, an anger to the way they play. Damian Lillard is playing with joy right now, and his teammates are playing with joy. I mean, look at the smiles and the laughter, and you think about sort of the way it goes, and and his ability to come around the screen and shoot from anywhere is just absolutely incredible. That being said, let's remember Utah-Denver was approved night one. You can have great production from the backcourt and still lose the game. I mean, last night came down not just to Damian Lillard. It came down to the absolute ineffectiveness of Anthony Davis, and if AD is going to be one of the top three players in the league, he sure as heck better play like it in the playoffs. Otherwise, we're going to have some question marks about him and LeBron moving forward. Speaking of question marks, speaking of LeBron, I mean, I, I actually love the the contrast of worlds between the Blazers and the Lakers, especially because of the two of the guys from the same draft, Carmelo and LeBron. You talk about two guys, their whole life up to that draft and then after that draft have been completely different. And now we get skinny Melo in the bubble and LeBron after the game saying, it was uh, it was a little different without the fans out there. Yeah, and, and that's so funny because Melo has found, like, the fountain of youth. And then you turn around and you talk to LeBron about different without fans out there. That's just hard to – that's hard for me to wrap my head around because this wasn't day one in the bubble. Whatever difficulty they were facing is something they've been facing since they got into the bubble when it comes to the lack of a crowd. And, frankly, I know, and I've, I've seen some of the tweets and reporters that have said, well, look, uh, LeBron's been playing in front of – Huge crowds, and she was in eighth grade. Uh, that doesn't matter. You still got to go out there and do your job. And I know that sports are much different than music, but I, I make those analogies sometimes because of my past. And I will tell you this there's absolutely, when you are touring at the highest level, you can't have a different show based on whether there was 25,000 or 25 people in the crowd. It is your job to go out and do your best professionally every single night. I expect that. I think the world demands that from LeBron and to come in and talk about the crowd at this point feels forced and like an excuse, a cheap excuse for a team that lost a game they shouldn't have lost last night. Let's transition to the 76ers. You saw game one. They fell to the Boston Celtics. Gordon Hayward will not be available to play. Do you think that changes the series? Yeah, I have to. I mean, uh, and, and look, I was surprised. You guys know this. You know Philly better than anybody, right? There are certain times that you watch a game in general and you think, man, they're going to pull this one out. And I spent most of the game watching Philly thinking, they're going to find a way to win this. Like, that this is going to go the way of Philly. Now, I realize you guys have seen that so much. Maybe maybe your heartbreak is too much to, to let you go there. But I felt like it was theirs. And then they just found a way to lose it. More than Boston found a way to win. And so you start thinking about the lack of Gordon Hayward. Now, I think that's huge for the Celtics. And, and frankly, the Celtics seem to have been bitten by that injury bug for the last couple of years. I'm not sure how they get past it, how they get through it. I think it puts a different level of pressure on Philadelphia. They should win this series. Brett Brown should win this series at this point because they're a better team than a Gordon Haywardless Celtics. Well, you you mentioned the name that is the greatest controversy in this area, which is Brett Brown. So what does you think Brett Brown has to do to keep his job, in your opinion? If you were running the Sixers, can Brett Brown keep his job if he loses this series? Does Brett Brown keep his job if he goes how far in the playoffs? Eastern Conference Finals are bust. I mean, that, that's the very line, and even then it's still questionable. I mean, 
you got as much talent on that roster as basically anybody could have in the East. And I realize that Toronto and Milwaukee are both supposed to be clear-cut favorites out of the conference. But the, the fact is, it is much easier to find one coach than it is to find two franchise players. And that's what the 76ers should have, in theory, with Embiid and Simmons. So it's about getting the most out of them. And that's not happening. Now, I do believe at some point professionals, it's their job to be professionals. Find that spark. Get yourself going. Make sure that you play at the best of your ability. But if a coach has lost the ability to communicate that to players, then at some point that lies squarely at the feet of the coach. And it's much easier to change him than it is to change every other piece. So Brett Brown, to me, is gone. If he can't oh, – he has to get to the Eastern Conference Final – and they still have to show out there. Even if they lose it, they have to show out for him to keep his job. I would have to agree. Now, let's flop over to baseball. We're hitting everything here. Fernando Tatis Jr., this situation is bonkers. I can't believe the outrage going on. 3-0 count. His manager apparently gave him the don't swing sign. He swings anyway. Grand slam. They were up seven at the time. Your thoughts? Love it. Look, you're talking to a guy that presses pause on a Madden game or calls a timeout on a Madden game with two seconds left. If I can add on a field goal, just say I want the extra point. <laughs> Is that against the computer or another online player? Either or. <laughs> I don't do it against anybody. Like, but here's the thing. Like, so we're going to relate this to trash TV because I watch too much of it. If you've ever watched Bar Rescue or Kitchen Nightmares, two great shows, right? If you've ever watched that, like John Taffer will sit in there on Bar Rescue and he'll sit across from a bar owner and the bar owner will listen to all these changes and say, but what about our regulars? I'm worried about our regulars. And I watched one episode where John Taffer looked an owner in the eyes and said, if your regulars were keeping this business open, I wouldn't be here. I would challenge that's the same mindset around Major League Baseball. At some point, if the regulars, if the, if the unwritten rules of baseball people were keeping the sport growing, if the, the sport was thriving like never before, then unwritten rule guy could come out and die on that hill. That's not happening. And, and, and look, realistically, we've all talked about like, why is the sports radio content 101 for so many people how to fix baseball? Because there's at least a perception that they have a marketing issue. Personality provides marketing, and there's an opportunity from all of this. And I believe that for every fan that walks away because unwritten rules are being violated, there are three that will walk in and say, wow, this is fun. I like watching this guy. I'm going to watch this team play. So to me, if I'm Major League Baseball, I love it. I'm embracing it. How many people are just learning about this? Like, I, I think it's incredible for the sport. And if he wants to keep st- – like, if he wants to steal, if he wants to swing, if they want to run up the score every single day, that's only going to make more people watch this truncated season. I think baseball should be all in on marketing it. I mean, I at least know for me and Hunter, too, I mean, we sit there and we're like, well, it's 11 o'clock. Let's go find the, the Padres on our dial because of the fact that, you know, if we can get the Padres on TV, we can watch them. We want to see them because you want to see the best players in the game. But I got to ask you, you're someone you interact with sports fans all the time. You interact with a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. Can you put your finger on why there is a group of people who are so resistant to allowing baseball to be fun? I think for so many people, sports are about the way we remember them as a kid. And baseball particularly is a, uh, let's say, father-son, father-daughter. Like, it's a parent-child sport, right? Like, you remember going to the ballpark with your dad and you're watching it, and for so many people it was about charting the game and watching what was happening, and, and there's a certain experience around it. And for whatever reason, when you look across, whether it's the people talking about baseball, whether it's the fans that are yelling about baseball, whether it's the managers. I mean, you look across the board, it's an older crowd, frankly, that's sitting here talking about a lot of these issues. And 
that crowd is more steeped in tradition. And so it feels like there's just this piece that's missing. And, and I'll say, look, I think some of this is, is in every sport. Like how many NFL fans will come in now every time there's a hit on a quarterback, you've got the guy in the room that's like, oh, 10 years ago, they know, like that guy always exists, right? The person that's holding on to the past of whatever the sport might be. And I understand it, but it feels like particularly baseball fans are holding on to the past and the memories of what the game used to be and how it's supposed to be played because of it, rather than realizing that, hey, if there's something that we can be doing right now that will help market it, that's only going to make memories for another generation, which is the key to keeping a sport moving forward. Baseball and hockey are the two sports, and, and you guys know I'm a hockey guy, but baseball and hockey are the two sports that seem locked into this is the way we do it, and you're not cool if you don't get it, and I'm not going to explain it to you. And I don't understand that logic at all. He's Jason Fitz every Monday through Friday night, 7 to 9, here on 97.3 ESPN Radio and ESPN Radio Nationally. He joins us every Wednesday here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Jason, appreciate the time on a Wednesday. And have a good show tonight, man. I appreciate you guys so much. Have a great week. You too. Of course, as all guests, Jason Fitz appeared on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. You know, it was funny about him saying that is because how many times have we talked to certain individuals, you and I, Hunter, who are older than us, who remember the game a certain way, and they're a little, uh, they're a little resistant to change at times. On this station, well, a couple of them are. No, I don't believe you. Not here. That would never happen. I Not felt, here. I just felt Fitz's explanation for that was right on the money. Incredible. I think it's also good because he's talked to a lot of different people as well. He's not just getting hockey fan from South Jersey. He's getting hockey fan from somewhere else in the country. He used to work in the Nashville market, for example. You know, he's getting baseball fan from LA chiming in at him as well. So, you know, it's it's interesting to hear that perspective from someone who's touching all the bases nationally. And just to defend Tatis Jr. The Phillies scored seven runs in the sixth inning yesterday. It happens. Little League Baseball has a 10-run mercy rule. We are now talking about baseball at the major league level and seven runs? What a joke. We'll get into more of this coming up. Myself, Hunter Brody, here on 97.3 ESPN Sports Bash being brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you. Visit them online at gmslaw.com. Of course, football at four. Jeff Mosher joins the show on a Wednesday. Keith Smithka joins us at five o'clock to talk NBA. Weinberg Wednesday. Usually hear him on game night. We're going to hear him today. He is willing to bump up a little bit. Hunter to 530 to join us. Kevin McCormick's going to join me at 615 on game night. So we got a lot going on. And the Flyers won your calls. We got them. We recorded them. And we got them saved and queued up and ready to go. Plus, ask Broads and Josh on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board 609-403-0973. Busy next few hours. Don't change the channel. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. Along with other Birdie, Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN Sports Bash. Mike will be back in tomorrow for a full show. Text board is open. Brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com, 609-403-0973. Of course, ask Broads and Josh. We've got coming up at 4.30. Football at 4, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Coming up top of the next hour. Talk NBA with Keith Smith as well at 5 p.m. Weinberg Wednesday as well at 5.30. All coming up here on 97.3 ESPN. Plus an abbreviated edition of Game Night. Kevin McCormick will join me. From 97.3 ESPN.com, Sixers, writer to preview Sixers Celtics game two tonight at 6.30 here on 97.3 ESPN. But last night, 
the fly well yesterday afternoon. Yeah, see that threw me off earlier too. Know, it's, it's so, so weird. weird. It's well, the odd. Flyers are playing tonight, yes. but they finished the game around five o'clock last night, which is technically late afternoon, evening. early evening. Evening. Yeah. By the time I talked to Durso, it was like five fifty. So you know, we talked about the Flyers game yesterday, but. The Anytime Hotline is open. People call in. And we like to hear what people have to say after the game because sometimes it's rational. Sometimes it's irrational. Sometimes it's, well, we don't know. What's the Anytime Hotline number again? 856-442-9805. So we get some of those calls now because we want to know. What do the people have to say? Well, here we go. Flyers go up 3-1 to one in the series. I'm liking it. You know what else I like? I love Actually, back-to-back shutouts from Carter Hart, except for that monstrosity of Game 2. But he's been playing lights out. He is so locked in. It blows me away. But we need to talk about that power play. That power play is still a serious problem. And can Claude Giroux please shoot the puck? Dude, you got a cannon. Just shoot the puck. But good game overall. All right, so my first thought is he, he did mention Game 2. And Game 2 wasn't really Carter Hart's fault. It was more of him being pulled just because the coach wanted to send a message, hey, you guys got to pick it up. The last goal went off ghost skate and ended up going in. Uh, game 2 wasn't his fault. He's got a point on the power play, and, and Claude Giroux, I'm, I'm underwhelmed with him. You know me, I'm a Claude Giroux supporter. I think he gets a lot of backlash that he doesn't deserve because look at what happens when you have a netminder, your team wins. That was a problem throughout his entire tenure here. But he does need to shoot that puck, specifically that 2-on-1. You can't pass up that type of opportunity. I feel like the problems with the power play are actually improving a little bit, though. I thought I saw better movement in yesterday's performance. Yes. And that's what Durso was telling me yesterday on game night after the Flyers game, that the Flyers are obviously made improvements, and the line changes they made are obviously creating something better out there. It didn't result in goals, but at least they weren't losing the puck every five seconds in the offensive zone. I think that at this point, any improvement is some improvement in my mind. And they did have that. Actually, they had a wide-open opportunity where Sean Couturier was in the crease, and they slid the puck over to him. He had a wide-open net, and they weren't able, able to bury. But the chance was there, and that's what you, you can at least take a positive that the, the power play created some sort of chance for this offense. They just have to now cash in. Get another uh, call in here on the Anytime Hotline. Flyers won yesterday to nothing. Back in action tonight. Of course, following the Sixers game right here on 97.3. ESPN, they close it out tonight. Billy from uh, Maryland. Great win tonight. Uh, Carter Hart again. Exceptional. Another shutout. We definitely know we have the goalie of the future right now. Uh, sucks to see we couldn't get another power play goal or a power play goal at all. But Raffle looked good. All lines look good. I like how Elvino is changing things up, and I think uh, tomorrow we should be able to close it out. Let's go, Flyers! How about Raffle? That goal was beautiful. That was sweet. I know, right? And and the fact that Elvino goes, hey, I'm going to switch up the lines today. We'll go Raff up with Voracek and Kuti, and bang, they score that beautiful goal right from the jump. He's pushing all the right buttons. Sometimes I disagree with some of the buttons, and then they work out. So who am I to judge? I mentioned this to Durso. I want to ask you while I'm thinking about it. So the lines at one point yesterday was Grant, Giroux, and Lawton. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have even thought of that combination. I was playing NFL, NHL Live back in the day. Like, that's one of those line combinations. You're like, 
wait a minute, what? Like even on the broadcast, they were saying the uh, the Flyers broadcast here on ninety seven three ESPN. Tim Stoddard, Steve Coates. They were like, well, that's a weird line. Grant and Giroux and Lawton. They were like, that's that's not a line I would have thought of. I think when you see someone struggling like Claude Giroux, someone that you need to get going when, when the top six isn't producing. Sometimes you have to try out stuff and. I'm not against throwing something like that together. Now, I wouldn't expect that to be some insane line that would take the Flyers on an amazing cup run, but if it did create some spark for at some degree, maybe that's enough to get someone like Claude Giroux going. So it was wonky, but I'm for it. Uh, it was It's better than what was going, which was the alternative, because the top line wasn't producing at all. So how could it be much worse? Well, also, the Flyers almost had 70% of uh, face-offs won last night. I think they were like, what, 6 to 9% by the end of the game. They were at 75% in the first period alone. So obviously, the line changes also increased their odds of winning face. I know they were one of the league leaders in face-offs, won face-off percentage this year. But, you know, to do it in a playoff game is another level, to do it that high of a level. Absolutely, and winning faceoffs is key, especially in the offensive zone, defensive zone. That could be the difference in scoring a goal or not. You saw when Claude Giroux in Game 3 scored the, uh, well, he shot the puck and it hit off Jake Forsyth. That all was generated because of an offensive zone draw. Winning faceoffs so huge, and this Flyers team does a great job at it. Let's get in a call in here. I was overly critical of the Flyers like we all were about their lack of offense, their lack of chances. But as I watch these games progress, I just think that's the way it's going to be in this series. It's going to be boring to watch. There's not going to be a lot of open ice to make creative plays. I thought the power play looked a little bit better. I mean, they had some near misses today, so I guess there's hope for that. I want to see them gone in five, and let's hope these other Eastern Conference series get extended because rest is important in the postseason. Well, we should say that one of them didn't get extended because Tampa won tonight. Today, I should say. So they won in overtime. Didn't go long. Wasn't five overtime. Just overtime. It was like five minutes in. The guy scored. Boom. Game over. So at least one series is going to be done if the Flyers win tonight. So now you're just waiting on the other series, which one of them is coming up next. Uh, Bruins Hurricanes. He made a good point talking about the speed that the Flyers are playing and the way that they're playing. This is what it's going to be. And it feels a little unfortunate because I feel like there's a lot of casual Flyers fans jumping on the bandwagon right now, which I support. I'm not one of those hockey fans that say, I don't want you watching because you weren't here from game one. No, no, no. Come enjoy the ride with me. Come watch this. It's fun. It's, it's a good team to watch. But because they play a boring style of hockey, which is effective, I don't know if it's getting everyone's attention compared to if it was a team that was scoring four goals. The style of play is what makes it boring. Now, uh, I, I forget the name of the fighter of UFC 251 who won the main card. 251, it was a boring style. He pinned him up against the cage. Oh, um, Kamaru Usman versus yes, Usman. Masvidal. Okay, now... That is an effective method that works in UFC, and it beats out your opponent. He gets tired. You're putting your weight on him. It's very strategic. Boring way to fight, though. The fans not as engaged because you're sitting there, oh, this is what we bought. This is the fight we see. With the Flyers, I kind of feel it's similar of it's working, it's effective, but it's not a fun watch but the for, difference, the, for the casual fan. I get that, but the difference is there's a goaltender throwing shutouts, and at least that's something you could hang on to. It's like... 
you can enjoy a one nothing baseball game if you have a high-level pitcher going out there and striking out 15, right. 18 no, dudes. Let's say Nola and Scherzer. Nola has 13 strikeouts. Scherzer has 11. That's a fun one nothing right. game. And that's what I mean. I think the difference is, is that I think the casual fan now is looking at Carter Hart as this is something I want to watch. Like Mike Gill talked about that for him, he has a reason to watch every Flyers game from beginning to end now because not because he's a Flyers fan, but because of the fact that Carter Hart is that entertaining. So I think the Carter Hart factor is drawing people in too. The only reason why I think it's not, I get where you're going with that, but because of the way the Flyers are playing defensively, it's not like the Canadians have all these scoring chances where Carter Hart's standing on his head and he's, you know, diving across the crease. He's making these sound professional saves. You know, it's not like Carey Price sticking his stick out. Oh, Carter Hart, this crazy save. It's more like, well, there's Carter Hart in perfect position once again. And it's the Canadians aren't getting these crazy, obnoxious, big-time, grade-A chances and Carter Hart's putting 10 Sports Center top 10 saves together. No, and I get it. He's not Dominic Hasek. He's not going out there making these spectacular The reason saves. why, though, is because he's so good, he's always in position. He doesn't need to. I right. Know, I and know. that's why I always say, for me, I see Martin Brodeur and Carter Hart. I don't want to make the comparison to Carey Price, but Brodeur was so fundamentally sound. He exasperated you how fundamental he was. And I see the same thing with Carter Hart. The frustrations that I had as a hockey fan in the 90s Watching teams I wanted to see win, whether it was the Flyers or another team, beat the Devils. The frustrations I had with Brodeur, I'm now seeing other hockey fans have with Carter Hart, where they're like, this guy is so basically fundamental, I want to hate him, but I have to respect him. How can he even hate him? It's not like his personality well, I mean, comes other, up. I know, team I know. But still, this kid... He doesn't I really have a person. I know. I can't get over how he approaches the media, how he speaks, the way that he talks, all of it. We go from Joel Embiid to the extreme opposite of Carter Hart. Imagine Carter Hart with Embiid's personality. After a win, doing the windmill to the ear, pumping Throwing up the, the crowd. Yeah, up. Can you imagine that? And then Joel Embiid with Carter Hart's personality. That would be hysterical. Although I will give Carter, he did crack a smile last night. Whoa, he cracked interview. a smile. He cracked Think a about smile. that. He cracked a smile, and that's mind-blowing. We're all pushed back. you got to be kidding me. He smiled? Yeah. What get, world do we live in, Josh? I know, right? 2020, welcome. How you doing? Uh, let's get one more call in here before we hit the break. One more from the Anytime Hotline to the Flyers win. Carter Hart is a flipping beast. Two games in a row with the shutout. Absolutely in. Saying, I was a little worried by Sean Couturier there. Um, two really missed opportunities to uh, score a uh, goal. And also, our power play was not looking good. What I love about this team is that you never know what you're going to get. Um, one day, one night or day, you might get top three guys, Claude Giroux, Jacob Borchek, scoring. Then the next night, you might get Scott Lawton. Like, so today, it was Phil Myers. Yeah, so his point is very valid. It, it talks about the depth of this team. You don't know who's going to step up, but the fact that it doesn't matter is what is special about the guys playing on the Flyers right now. It it could be Albay Kubel. It could be one of these players. I, I thought Connor Bunneman, who got slipped into the lineup yesterday, did a hell of a job playing that role. And it wasn't like he produced any points statistically, but his style of play benefited against the Canadians. And it's like that. Even if it's not producing points, just the all-around play. You can plug in anyone, and that's why this team is doing what it's doing. 
PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open, 609-403-0973. Those calls about the Flyers were brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you. Visit them online at GMSLaw.com. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill, along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESP. And Mike will be back on the Sports Bash tomorrow. Of course, tonight we got Sixers at 6.30, followed by the Flyers versus Canadians to Sixers Game 2. Flyers game five, all here coming up on 97.3 ESB. We will pick up the Flyers game in progress. Of course, with that game going to overtime, it'll be interesting to see exactly what time they drop the puck tonight. So that'll be an interesting conversation to have as well because, you know, maybe uh, if you're a Sixers and a Flyers fan, you don't have to go flipping back and forth and having too many devices on. Like, now everybody's you, Hunter, with 20 TVs in her house. I don't have 20. I have three in my man cave. Okay, you have nine. I have three. I'm just embellishing. I know. Yeah, but look, I need it. It's my job. I'm not, I'm not saying you don't need it. I'm just saying not everybody's you. So not everybody can have 2,000 TVs in one well, room. Well, for a long time, I went one TV and then phone. So I would go Flyer Sixers on the big TV and then just utilize the My Teams app. That's what I do. Yeah, nothing's wrong with that. As long as you can watch it, it doesn't matter what I'm watching it on. Coming up, we're going to give you little headlines because there's a story that just news that broke about the NBA. We got to talk about this because this gets back to a conversation that you and Mike Gill just had in the 2 o'clock hour. Mike Gill said he was really frustrated about something with the NFL. And the NBA is now responding to this issue in their sport. Will this cause a domino effect? Josh Hennig, Hunter Brody, We'll get into that right here, 973 ESPN and the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. It's Sixers playoff. Ninety-seven-three ESPN FM. Headlines, of course, we do this each and every day. Low and Thunder Brody, Josh Eddie filling for Mike Gill. Mike will be back in here tomorrow. So uh, we got some interesting headlines to get to. I wanted to know what the NBA wanted to talk about on the other side. So Sham Sharinia tweeted out this. The NBA has informed teams they are no longer allowed to report injuries in general terms, such as conditioning, reconditioning, soreness, fatigue. Not allowed anymore. The NBA is telling teams they must use specific reason and body part. And the first thing I thought of was you and Mike are talking about the upper body, lower body in the NFL. Well, the NBA has turned around and say, nah, we're not doing this. You got to be specific. And you have to wonder where did this decision come from? Was this just a general, this is a dumb thing we're doing? Or was this the league has some partners that maybe be involved in some of those sports books? I'm thinking about this in a Sixers perspective because how many times over the last few years with Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons with the whole back, did we not get the proper information, right? Maybe now things change when it comes to communication with the medical staff to the media to the fans? Well, or it's also targeted at Kawhi Leonard, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's talking times, to the whole league. I mean, it's guys like Kawhi and LeBron who have, frankly, been abusing this. Well, LeBron... For what it is, LeBron hasn't been too much of a load manager. He seems very passionate about playing for, and this is before the COVID-19 stuff, people pay to watch him play. And he takes pride in that. Like, he's not one of those, 
I'm going to load manage all the time. Like, he plays. He goes out there and plays. He's not one of those big-time load management guys. You know? Not anymore, but there still are times that you see that these players use these things as opportunities to, you know, skate the rules a little Well, to be fair, they're still going to do it. What they're going to do, though, is say that they have an issue. But the problem is now when the media talks to you, hey, um, Joel Embiid, the report said that you had a, a messed up ankle. How you doing? How's the ankle? Well, you just got to say it's getting better. Or well, he'll, they're just—they're still going to do what they want to do in terms of resting these guys. They're just going to have to actually put a title to it. So, sore left leg, sore knee—you know—that's what you're going to see instead of you know lower body or whatever the case may be. But this is what I have to agree with Mike. I'd rather hear that than upper body, lower body. Oh no, rest, no. fatigue. Like, come on, give I me. Give me at least a reason why he's not playing. Oh, I would rather hear that. But but here's the uh, here's the other side of it. While they are giving you a reason why they're not playing, is that really the reason why they're not playing? But at least they're trying. I'm with you. I mean, are they trying or are they forced to do it? Well, it's a little of both. The league is forcing them to do it, but at least the league is forcing them to try. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the kid says, I don't want to do my homework. Well, you got to at least try it. You got to at least finish it. Well, I don't want to finish it. Well... You probably should because you don't want to get failing grades in school and be held back a year and be that old kid in the class that nobody likes because he got held back a year. You get made fun of all year. You want to be that kid? No, go do your homework. I don't think it's a negative, but I don't know how much of a big positive it is either because I just feel they're going to do the same thing and just give you some wonky reasons on why they're doing the same thing, if that makes sense. All right, well, what do you got? Well, let's stick with basketball. All right. Last night, the Magic won eighth seed. Yes, they did. The Bucks lost first seed. Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers beat up on the Lakers. That was an 8-1 matchup. Right now, the Nets are taking it to the Raptors. It's close in the fourth quarter. So I bring this up because you're seeing these eighth-seeded teams beat up on the, the powerhouse squads. Do you think that's because of the atmosphere? Do you think it's because of no fans? And you heard LeBron say that to the media afterwards. Do you think that because of this situation they're playing in, t in, in this season you might have that chance of the first seed going down and, and this being a weird, wonky, upsetted season. Oh, it just started downpouring in the Phillies-Red Sox game. Yeah, not good. Phillies this, don't look good today. Yeah, they might lose this game because they might end the game early. You know, that's the new thing now. Baseball does. Oh, well, it's raining. Uh, just well, it's 345. It. I'm sure they'll find a way to finish this off. Well, it's point. the middle of the six. Yeah, but they'll find a way. If you can get through six innings, they'll, they can call the game. Yeah, but it, because it's so early in the afternoon, I think that they'd still give them a chance to go out there and compete. I don't know. Anyway, let's get back to what we were saying about this team. So I think that, yes, there is something to the fact that being in a bubble without fans, with no legitimate home court, there's something to be said for that because we've seen it also in the NHL where you know, the lack of the environment affecting the outcome of a game. I think, though, that as Jason Fitz said earlier, it's a little bit of an excuse because the Trailblazers are not a normal 8 seed. That is very true. This is not a team that usually would be in a, If they were all healthy all year, they're probably like a 4 seed or a 5 seed at, at worst. I think that the, the Magic, we forget, won Game 1 last year as well over the Raptors. So... They are kind of one of those teams that can kind of punch you in the mouth and you got to kind of recalibrate and figure things right. out. Right. Like, I'm not, I don't look at the Magic series as, oh, wow, they can upset the Bucks. But I do look at the, the, um, the Trailblazers and I go, well, they might have something here. Charles Barkley says they're going to sweep the Lakers. Well, that's just aggressive. 
That's aggressive. He brought the broom last time. Sweeping up the room. I'm anti-NBA TNT crew. I, I feel like that's Are a hot take. Really? Yeah, I think they're too much. They're over the top. I like Ernie. I just feel... Look, I don't think it's... um. I don't think it's horrendous, the worst thing ever. I just think that they are obnoxious, and sometimes they take it to an extreme that I don't like. But they have good moments. I'm not saying they don't have any good moments, but they're not my favorite. I feel there are fans out there that are so pumped up to watch the, the crew. Sort of like, I'll say this. When Ricky Bowe was on postgame, to me, that's must-watch television after a Phillies loss or even after a win. I love seeing Ricky Bowe. People feel that way about the TNT crew they do. after a, an NBA game. I am so not on that page when it comes to those guys. I enjoy them a lot because, first of all, I think Ernie does a great job. Ernie's at, good. Ernie's great at setting all three of them up to hit the ball out of the park. I guess it's just Shaq and Barkley that bother me. See, I, don't, are, I don't mind. But those me. are the two guys I like the most. Yeah, because I, they're I'm obnoxious. lukewarm on Kenny. I, I can deal with Kenny. See, I'm lukewarm on Kenny. Kenny's... Kenny sometimes gives you like the most. He gives you the Ben Davis take sometimes. Oh I'm no doubt. I'm not a doubt. fan of that. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I I'm see not a fan of the lukewarm you, take. He gives you Ben Davis in a little like uh, Lou a Riddick, package. maybe. What do you think? A, a mix between a Ben <laughs> Davis and a Lou Riddick? Are we are we in that type of frame? Uh, I'll just go Ben Davis. Okay, Lou, you know, Lou Riddick is way more intense and thoughtful. Definitely than... more intense, but I feel the way that they analyze the game might be similar. Lou, Lou Riddick looks like sometimes he's ready to fight somebody. I oh, no that. doubt. Maybe he fights the Monday Night Football crew mid-game. That'd be hilarious. I I can I could see him going out on the field mid-game and. Taking a snap. I could totally see him in a pregame saying, this is how you line up as a cornerback. You know, doing that whole thing. Oh, we got so sidetracked. We there. did. <laughs> well, I, I want to touch on some baseball because the Tatis Jr. thing needs to be discussed. And, and I just want to get your take on it because it's taken over the internet by storm. And it's unfortunate that someone hit a grand slam and he needs to apologize for it. To me, it's nonsense. And the fact that there's these rules that you can't, beat up on an opponent like this is professional sports and these guys get paid a lot of money and this could be the difference in maybe hitting some incentives down the road when it comes to contract stuff these are home runs these are runs batted in this is important so to me it's nonsense your thoughts by the way whether the sun just came out the uh phillies red sox game so it downpoured for about five minutes now the sun's out and now the batter's box is in the shadows with the pitcher in the sun phillies by five here comes the comeback, baby. Well, the guy get the, the bat first. Yeah, the Phil Gosling. Phil Gosling. Uh, I was gonna say Harper with a home run, but fine. Gosling get on base and Harper get the home run. How about that? I'll take that. Although, okay. uh, Harper gets on base, Gosling hits the home run. I was right. Gosling's batting lower. Well, I guess it depends where you're at in the inning. But anyway, true, true. Tatis Jr. That's the boy. The boy is Tatis Jr. Listen, the dude who complains about Tatis Jr. Hitting a grand slam on a 3 nothing pitch is the same person who's mad because they talk about when it was in their day, there were no kids on cell phones, and they had actually had to go out and play out in the sunshine. But isn't that weird? Because you would think those players or those people who are upset, the get-off-my-lawn type guys, they're the ones that want guys to play hard all the time. We want all the energy. But that's why they're not serious about that. The person who says that they want them to do X, Y, Z, when the person gives you that, they still don't like it because it doesn't fit within the parameters of what they want. And that's the problem. Person who complains about person being competitive needs to go away. Don't go away mad. Just go away. Because what you're telling me is you don't want these guys playing all out for all nine innings. 
You want these guys to live up to a certain level of expectation that fits into your preferences. Well, guess what? The world isn't built around you. The world is what it is. And I love the fact that Tati stole the base last night because now he's saying, I'm not going to take out one of your sacred cows. I'm going to take out two of your sacred cows. And I'm coming for all of you because I'm on my way to being the next Mike Trout. And I love it. I'm all for it. Now, if the score was 22 to 3, would you feel differently? I don't care what the score is. If it was 22 to 3, I would feel differently. Uh, to quote Herm Edwards, hello, you play to win the sure, game. Sure, but if it's the eighth inning, bases loaded, 3 0 okay, count, it's 23 I to don't 2. don't care. No, there, there are, there's a different story. No, there is not a sure different story. Because there is a, there is a level where there is a, like a seven run game is not a 20 run game. A 20 run game in baseball in the eighth inning. Well, a 20 run game, he might not even be batting in that situation. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But I'm just saying, if that was the scenario that was laid out, that's where I would have the issue. A 20 I, run a baseball game, in, you're not, there's no reason to hit the grand slam there. I'm not here for mercy rules. He's not 10 year old playing. I know, out but there. you got, you got to understand that to a degree that if it's a 20 run MLB baseball game, it's the top of the eighth inning or yeah, whatever. But in the case those may be. cases, that's when Roman Quinn's coming in the pitch and half the team's sitting on the bench joking around. Nobody's really playing at that point anyway. And that's why this is a hypothetical. And that would be a scenario where, if that was the case, if something happened where a grand slam happened in a 20-run baseball game, I get that mindset. In a 7-run baseball game, I don't. Because the Phillies just scored 7 runs in one inning yesterday. So how can a 7-run lead be enough? If you're within 10 runs, you have a chance in baseball. Sure. Because of how bad some of these bullpens are. By the way, that 7-run inning, that was a whole 2-out rally. It was. You know, people forget that because pitching is not that good in baseball today, there's not as well, many quality pitchers to go around for all the that. bullpens to be good. You're not, you're not going to have half the league with great bullpens. Well, anymore. that's any sport though, because you know you look around all these te all these leagues. There's, well, there's a bottom many... half for a reason. All right, really quick. This is my personal theory. People can come at me all they want at Josh Hennig on Twitter. There's too many teams in all the sports. The talent is spread too thin. And that's why you have a Phillies and a Red Sox and a Pirates bullpens that get blown up almost every night. I don't know if I agree with that. The reason why they have a bad bullpen is just because they didn't like they didn't make the roster as good as it can be. It doesn't have to be this bullpen. There's ways to make this bullpen better. They just did not do that. So there's there's players to make the bullpen better. They just didn't acquire those. Yeah, but there's players. fewer players to go around too. There's not as many like back in the day. There was like every team had a great closer, right? Back in the 80s and the 90s. Well, that's the style of baseball's changed now, to the point where people don't even have like now everybody closers. has a closer, but not everybody's closer is actually that good. Like Craig Kimbrell is half the man he used to be. For example, but doesn't that come with age and his length in the league? Part of it, part of it is also because these there's just not as many great guys that go around anymore. Then you have a team like the Yankees that have three closers, for example. So, but doesn't that mean that like if there's three closers on the Yankees, that to tell me kind of like what I'm saying with the Phillies, the Yankees have them. They're there. So those two closers that aren't playing on other teams could have been one on the Phillies, one on the other. They're there. Those specific teams just don't have those players. I get you, but back in the day, it would be like, well, the Reds had Jeff Brantley and then Jeff Shaw, and then you bring in another but guy. But I just think the nature of baseball has changed to the point where there's no more setup, closure. Now with analytics and numbers and all that, that's just the way baseball and the, man and the, the managing of the bullpen has changed, which I don't like, but that's where it is.
I don't know. I, I just don't think there's enough quality pitching to go around as there used to be. And I think part of it is because some of these guys are being brought up too soon. I don't think some of these guys are really ready to play at the big league level. But that's just my opinion. I think you need to start calling up guys earlier because waiting and waiting and waiting bothers me. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Coming up next, Jeff Mosher Football at 4. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Miles Sanders has a lower body injury. Should we be concerned? Or is this just preventative maintenance that happens in August every year? We'll get into all that more with Jeff Mosher coming up next. Football at 4. Inside the Birds podcast here on 97.3 ESPN.